Hey guys, do you work in emergency medicine? An absolutely crazy and intense environment where you see things every single day that most people don't see their entire lifetimes. You feel burned out, unappreciated, like there's nobody you can talk to about the struggles and the things that you see every day. If that's you, I want to let you know that you are not alone. Today, I have a bunch of real professionals with real careers in emergency medicine that can relate to the struggles you have on a daily basis. I want you to not just survive working in emergency medicine, but thrive in emergency medicine. My guests are from every walk of emergency medicine, and they're here not because they have it all figured it out and they're perfect at this job, it's because they actually have a desire to help you. By the end of this episode, I hope you feel encouraged and feel like you're not alone and realize that you can succeed in emergency medicine regardless of what level of care you provide. My name is Aaron, I'm the host of Practical EMS. I've been an EMT, paramedic, and now ERPA. If that sounds at all of interest to you guys, please stay tuned, I'm gonna bring in my guests and we are gonna have an awesome show. Alright everybody, so welcome back. We're going to introduce our new guest that has popped in. And what we've been doing less is just saying your first name, credentials, length of time in emergency medicine, and then if you want to start off with an impactful or otherwise story, that would be good. Uh, yeah, so my name's Les. I'm a, an emergency physician. I've been doing this for a long time. I finished med school in 96 and residency in 99 seen about 130,000 patients. So got a couple under my belt and pretty much every day I learned something new, right? Just when everyone wants to talk about, Oh, you're so great. I know something bad's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, no, don't, don't give me any more go to awards. Uh, Cause then something bad. happens. You might have the best radio voice so far. I can hear it. I do. I did. Yeah. I did. Uh, I did a little radio. Okay. Yeah. Welcome um, to Practical EMS. I have to get rid of the accent, the southern accent. No, <laughs> no, no, it's, <laughs> it's endearing. It's Do you have any stories on deck that you want to share? You know, my favorite stories, and you know, I've got buckets of millions like everyone does, but working nights, always in a trauma center. Always night shift. Always the wrong place, always the wrong time. My favorite stories are what I learned from myself and about myself. So super busy night a long time ago and so busy that uh, I literally, I was in the middle of a procedure, a very serious procedure on a patient and couldn't get it done because I kept getting pulled out of the room for traumas. And I had a patient leaning on the side of the bed for a procedure. I had uh, um, uh, you know, a medic helping me and it was so busy, the medic left, and then I came back, and the patient was still teetering on the side of the bed asleep. <laughs> and so it was a busy night. And then in the middle of that busyness, uh, they bring a kid in for maybe non-accidental trauma. It's a little baby who maybe has a toe laceration. Baby screaming. There's 10 other kids in the room, and this is not the parents. The baby was handed off to some other parents, and that's why it's thought to be non-accidental trauma because this small child can't walk. And has a laceration on his foot, right? So thought to be non-accidental, and that's why they brought him to me in the middle of a bunch of traumas and other stuff. And I'm just setting that story up because I'm laughing at myself, but I also want to explain how this all happened. So the not mom is holding the baby's foot, the baby's screaming. There's other kids in the room screaming. I'm like, one of these other ones is going to fall and break a head, <laughs> right? Uh at any point, and I'm still running around back and forth from room to room. So we get all the non-accidental trauma stuff set up, and 
finally get into the room to look at the total aspiration. It's so tiny and simple. You wouldn't believe that that came back there in the middle. It's less than a centimeter. It's barely bleeding. They're holding pressure on it. So I'm like, okay, we get all the non-accidental stuff. I look at the kid head to toe otherwise and don't see another scratch on the kid. Everything looks copacetic. Like, okay, this probably was just a little cut from some glass that the kid crawled on. But the not mom is still holding the screaming kid with the toe other than my little peep that I took. And... <laughs> Um, so I come back in to glue it. It's a nightmare holding the kid down. The other kids are screaming. Literally one kid is pulling on my pants <laughs> as I'm trying to glue this other kid's toe. And so I get just a quick look at the toe. I see it. I kind of, we kind of clean it off real quick. I let, I let a little chlorhexidine dry and then I'm getting ready to glue it and I glue it. And when I do, the popper won't work. So I'll go get, have him go get another popper. It won't work. <laughs> Two dermabonds in a row won't work. And I'm, and you know, it's anxiety provoking with a screaming yeah. kid. Yeah. And you just want to get this done. Everyone wants you to get it done. I finally get the third one. And I'm like, okay, it works. I'm just smathering it on there. So I'm smather, I smather it all on there. And, um, Looks like it's all sealed over, and then I look, and the two toes are stuck. Like this, right, so it's on the bottom of the foot. I'm looking at the bottom of the foot, and the kid finally kind of has fallen asleep now, or is being we we uh, had a little sucrose the kid was sucking on, and uh, sweeties, and I'm like, great, I glued the toes together. Okay, I can't do that, so I grab a quick tongue blade just to kind of see if I can pry my part. They won't pry part easily. And the kid goes, yeah, every time I go to pry. And try the tongue blade. And I'm like crazy whining again. I'm like, okay, these two toes are just going to have to be glued together because this is ridiculous. I've pulled about 10 times. Every time I go to pull, the kid screams. And I'm like, it's going to be fine. They're glued together. It'll, come, it'll all come off in a week and we're done. And I got all these other traumas. And so then I just happened to look at the back of the toe after that. And they refused. <laughs> Uh, the first and second oh were fused. <laughs> and the point of my story is the Swiss cheese effect is real. <laughs> you're getting hammered. You're busy. Mom, there's no mom there to say, oh, those toes are fused. This is some neighbor lady who has no idea the toes are fused. Yeah. I looked at the other toes. They're not fused on the other side when I did head to toe. And I, the one area I didn't get a great look at was the thing we were holding the pressure on. And I just had to immediately come out and laugh at myself and tell the entire staff that story and kind of break the night down because it was so stressful. But it's just one thing after one thing after one thing after one thing kind of leads into something ridiculous. And there was no bad outcome, but that's how things happen. Yeah. That's amazing. That's funny. And I've been doing this a long time. <laughs> yeah. I'm, clear, I'm the oldest person in that ER every night. <laughs> that is amazing. I have to tell the story that I have about Dermabond because it's it makes me look even worse for sure. <laughs> I mean, I this was when I was a pretty new ERPA. I never used Dermabond before. Didn't realize this stuff drips like crazy. And I'm repairing this young girl's eyebrow laceration doesn't you know it well reapproximated really doesn't need stitches Um, you know my rationale is this is going to heal better cosmetically so you know i put the dermabond on her eyebrow and i'm looking away at something else and it drips onto her eyelashes and her eyelashes get stuck to her cheek and she can't open her eye and so i'm having to clean the oh i was in there like an hour trying to get this stuff (laughs) off her poor eyelashes 
Um, yeah, no point in that story other than to make me look like an idiot. But uh, <laughs> I definitely did that. Definitely did that. I've got some other topics to cover. Um, why don't we give uh, Les the chance to kind of answer what you would um, tell your younger self or somebody new or, or somebody just burned out of emergency medicine? Yeah, I was sitting over in the corner when you guys were answering that question, and there's so many different ways to look at it from, you know, how hard you work and what you do matters and what other things that don't matter. And, you know, we we choose the path that we take every day, and it does this and that, right? Um, I, th- I, think it's, I think it's twofold. I would tell my younger self that all of the work that I've done all the training, every second of everything that I work on to get better is worth it Mm. because you never know when that rare occasion comes that you need that tool set that someone else didn't work on and you can do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And at the same time, a realization, I think I'm just coming to after doing this for so long, right? 24 years as I'm attending is that some stuff doesn't matter. I've spent my career cranking, being as efficient as I can. And one of the reasons is that patients are waiting. I've got patients out of the waiting room. Someone's hurt, someone's worried, someone's scared. I need this bed empty to get them back. These patients have been waiting for two hours. I need to get them home. And no one really appreciates that. Mm-hmm. Right? They get mad when their McDonald's is taking 20 minutes. Yeah. And they get mad when... Their rule out for their STEMI takes two hours. And that's just the way it is. Uh, I was reading a book not long ago about a physician in the 1700s who complained. He was complaining that patients would be sick for two weeks, but they were angry at him when he couldn't get there in his horse and carriage in half an hour. <laughs> so it's never been any different. Yeah, it's the same. And so I think I would tell my younger self, all the work you does you do matter. Sometimes the little things matter, but killing yourself for convenience for people and um, it's probably going to go unappreciated. So if you're doing it, you need to do it for your own conscience mm-hmm. and not for what you're worried about. Patients are going to think or feel you move as fast as you can and you try to be safe. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. One other topic I want to introduce maybe before our last topic, we have a really good mix of providers here. We have an EMT. We have a couple paramedics. We have a flight paramedic. We've got a nurse two docs, a PA, what would be something that you wish everybody else knew about your particular job? And maybe we can start with Nathan. Particular job? Yeah. I mean, just about being an EMT. I mean, what's something that you think maybe we don't know, maybe we don't appreciate, maybe we don't understand is difficult. Oh, oh, that's easy as shit. Be- that's <laughs> easy as shit. <laughs> Being treated like a slave, (laughs) being treated like garbage because we have like three letters on our arm, you know, being treated that like we're stupid and dumb because we have three letters on our arm, not getting listened to for the same thing, you know, like I know EMTs who run circles around medics, you know, I know some smart ass EMTs and then whenever something's going on and they're like, hey, let's try this. No, go get the bag. Or no, go outside, you know, 
So from in my personal opinion, an EMT basics point of view, I mean, out here, our scope is amazing. You know, yeah. I do have my IV. I know EKGs. I have my ACLS. I have my pals. Um, but as soon as I sit here, I mean, thankfully, the partners I've had, especially my old partner was my mentor and he treated me like a partner, you know. Um, but some EMTs who have, you know, degrees in biology or degrees in this and they're they're educated with a whole bunch of stuff. You know, and they want to help, it gets shut down immediately. You know, so yeah, no, that's too easy. <laughs> that's that answer. Yeah. No, I, I, I'll comment on that because I have strong opinions about that as well. I mean, some of the partners that I've had for years, uh, Joey's one that comes to mind. If you're not using them as a partner and listening to their opinion, you're making a huge mistake as a paramedic because sometimes paramedics get so focused on a call. And you hone in on one differential and you're convinced that's all that's going on. You're missing everything else, especially when you're getting a report from the fire paramedic on scene and they're honing in on one thought. And now you're honed in on that one thought. A second set of eyes and a second opinion on patients is an absolute asset. Mm -hmm. So I hope that my partners think that I treated them like a partner and not as, you know, just an EMT. But that's a great point. I've got another aspect of that is that um, when I came up here f- uh, from down south, yeah. when I got here, Thank um, you. <laughs> I, I'd, I'd been I'd been a medic for about four years, um, and <clears throat> and I I was busy. There were only two of us at, yeah. at one point, so we were running everything. And um, so anyway, when I got up here, and I've worked with a ton of really great paramedics. I mean, really great ones. Yeah, but. My partner, Pete, he was my first partner up here. Um, he's a PA now, actually. Um, but my partner, Pete, was an EMT, and he taught me more about being an effective paramedic than any medic ever taught me. Yeah. Any any medic. And, you know, I owe my career to that man. And um, I hope he doesn't hear this because <laughs> he won't be able to get out of the room. But, but yeah, that uh, – and – one of the things he taught me is is that EMTs do know what they're doing. And Colorado, in this particular uh, place, um, our EMTs are better than anywhere I've ever seen. Yeah. And then, like, I mean, getting, like, EMTs, like, uh, to just further knowledge and stuff, because that's, like, the big difference. It literally is. Just schooling and college and that kind of thing. But, you know, places have BLS rigs where they do the non-emergent calls. Yeah. So if one that helps with a lot of confidence with the EMTs and stuff, but then that can also help them treat somebody yeah. without, you know, having like a medic there, yeah. you know, they can still do patient care. They can still help somebody, even if they have like a nice understanding of EKGs or even a gist of it, you put them on the monitor, there's elevation and with reciprocation, yeah. oh, we have a problem. Yeah. You know, do I call an ALS rig or I'm one minute at the hospital we can just go there. Yeah. You know? So like it's it just always annoys me because we're here to do patient care. We're here to help people. Yeah. The worst thing that can happen is, you know, ego. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like yeah. that that destroys people. It does. And that can destroy partnerships yeah. and a person. Yeah. Kind of thing. A hundred percent. And I have gotten way worse reports from medics that have huge egos yeah. than EMTs that have taken the patient seriously. Yeah. Yeah. That's truth. Let's hear from our paramedics and see what what do you guys want us to know about your jobs? I guess we've kind of answered that to some degree, but do you guys have any other thoughts? 
go ahead. Yes. I mean, I did a field EMS for several years before going into flight, and I still have an ambulance job that I work here in that I absolutely love. It's a rural company. Um, I think I was fairly dis- disillusioned with flight. Like I thought like that was kind of like the cream of the crop, the absolute best. But um, you do find out like in flight and critical care medicine, mistakes happen, you know, uh, <laughs> a lot. Um, and it's just, uh, I mean, it's working on the truck is hard. Like going into an environment that you know nothing about is really hard. Because even with flight, when we go into scene calls and we fly in, we shut down the highway, you know, even if it's a little rural volunteer system that doesn't have ALS, like they do a lot of care before we get there and they've got great input. So we're kind of like, we're not really first responders anymore. Um, you know, um, so there's a lot more challenges, like in my opinion, um, in EMS and there is in flying in critical care, um, that people don't really realize, but I'd say anybody going into critical care, be patient with yourself because it's, it's overwhelming. I mean, you, you do learn a lot more. Your scope is advanced. I mean, um, but, um, you know, be kind to yourself, be compassionate to yourself included, um, and just kind of take things slow and learn from everybody, you know, just because once you get that flight suit on, sometimes people think that they are untouchable. Mm. That is not the case at all. Like I am so appreciative of my volunteer, you know, first responders that don't even have IV cert or whatever. Um, they give great information. They care. I mean, these people do these, um, go on these calls and they're not getting paid for it, you know? Yeah. Um, and they have no resources, which is way more terrifying than being in the helicopter with my ventilator and ever like I've got everything at my disposal. I can put in chest tubes and it's like going out into an unknown situation and they don't have a lot of the equipment. Um, I mean, and they do a fantastic job. So um, it's definitely stay humble, like, you know, and be appreciative of um, how you got to that point um, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, (laughs) there's, people in this room that have seen emergency before <laughs> on TV. Um, what are you talking about? That used, that used to be, uh, that used to be a, a tr- training. We used to use those training films. Um, but, uh, you know, Gage and DeSoto, uh, but they, they actually showed us in, in a, in a way that showed that we did not only the emergency G whiz stuff, but we also did the, um, like get the kid's arm out of the, pool drain thing kind of deal, you know, that was not, but then long along the line, it, I think, uh, one of my bitches is that, um, we're, uh, if we're depicted in some sort of media, a, me- a movie TV show or whatever, they either show us as really stupid, you know, as this, we're the, we're the redheaded stepchild of the EMS. Careful. <laughs> no, you do have a little, yeah, you're a little, yeah, so, you know what I mean? Um, and, uh, or, or they show us, um, as every call is an emergency is, is yeah. just helmet fire. You know, I mean, you're just, you're using every tool, you know, you're using the ringoscope and the hearse tool all at the same time, you know, and, and, so, uh, emerge, or, um, what was that one with, um, William Shatner that they, they would have stories, um, emergency 911 hmm. and they would have true stories that they would show and everybody was a save. Everybody was a save. 
everybody was a safe yeah. and they're not like that you know and it's a lot of pressure to yeah. work under those you know kind of things and i think so i think what i would want people to know is um a we're not stupid we're really well trained um i had the um honor of of being trained by a cardiologist so in, in paramedic school uh, he's the guy that brought paramedic to colorado and so uh, but he was a cardiologist that had given up his cardiology practice to do emergency medicine Oh, and um and a war hero by the way mm. world war ii but anyway i'm one of jerry's kids and so i learned all those things even though i only had a a two lead you know life pack yeah you know, we had to move the wires around to, <laughs> to change the leads you know literally and but it made me learn you know uh what my vectors and stuff were but he had the foresight of saying uh, of you know, knowing that we were going to have 12 lead machines in the field. And he, so he taught us to read the 12 lead, you know, not just rhythms, but, you know, recognizing MIs and hmm? WPW and left bundle, right bundle, anterior fascicular block, the whole thing, you know. So we're not stupid. We're, we're actually pretty smart, um, some of us. <laughs> um, and, but we're not always doing those gee whiz things either and um, realize that, we make mistakes. Not everybody lives, you know, so all of this stuff that anybody hears today is just our opinion only. It does not reflect any agencies we work for, hospitals we work for, any companies we work for. It's just our opinions only. Um, like I said earlier, we've modified all these patient stories so that any resemblance to a real life patient is just coincidental. Um, this is for educational and entertainment purposes only. There is no medical advice here, so do not use this as medical advice. Do not use this to diagnose any medical or healthcare-related conditions. And we don't shock asystole like you see on TV all we the time. We used to. Yeah, used to. I heard about that. Well, we did, and, yeah. and I'll tell you why. Go. You want to know why? Yeah, no, I'll gladly. Tell you the story. So, a guy named Gordon Yui. Okay. He was a professor at University of Arizona. He did a, a study, and this is back be because now when we put a monitor on, it comes up in two leads, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wasn't like that before. When we put somebody on a monitor, you looked at one lead. So, we would shock a systole, and sometimes it would work. And the reason was no shit. It's because, yeah, so a systole or, um, V-fib, yeah. it's cyclic and it travels like this. Yeah. And so if you're looking at a lead, let's say you're looking at lead two, yeah. right? And if if where it is now is perpendicular to that lead, it's going to show what? Isoelectricity, asystole, yeah. right? So you wait a few minutes and, and you'll see it. But that's why we started to do, we'd see one, if we had somebody in asystole, we put them on the monitor well, we'd switch the leads and see what if there was we'd any look at lead activity. one, and then we'd look at lead three. Yeah, you know, to see if there was and, any. And activity. lead one, they might be like this, but in lead three, they may be like this. Yeah, you know. So we shock asystole because sometimes it would work, but it wasn't really asystole; it was really BFib. Yeah, depending on Is what a, road you're traveling down to. Yeah, I, yeah. I probably shocked asystole a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Fairly harmless, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Dad's dad. Dad is kind of yeah. <laughs> Can't make him any worse. Yeah. You make your dad hurt. <laughs> Kira, what do you got from the nursing perspective? Oh, gosh. Um, I think probably one of your biggest jobs as a nurse is like to advocate for your patient. Oh, yeah. yeah. 
that can be very time consuming, very exhausting. Um, you can hit a lot of brick walls sometimes with that. Um, so brick wall physicians or yeah, yeah. Oh, very much. I mean, (laughs) all of you, I work with all of you and it's like, you guys are amazing. You care about what the nurses say, but, um, (laughs) but, um, I can remember a specific instance with an ER provider that, um, this patient came in, she was a little bit off her rocker on some drugs, whatever the provider looked at that and didn't feel that it was necessary to do a very thorough assessment. And I did. And I'm palpating her chest. And I'm like, there's a definite deformity mm-hmm. in her sternum. And that's pretty uncommon. And she was an assault patient, but she's so hard to follow. Can't tell her story in any sort of like clear way. Um, but I was like, I know this is wrong. So I go to that provider. I'm like, hey, can you please order a chest x-ray? There's definitely something wrong. And this provider completely blew me off and was like, that is not true. I'm not doing that. Um, you know, you're feeling wrong, essentially. Yeah. And, and that was very discouraging to me. Um, so it's I pushed. It is. Yeah. Medicine. yeah. So I pushed back really hard. And I said, I'm telling you, you didn't take the time. When I palpated, the patient was in pain. I could tell that this is wrong. I'm going to order a chest x-ray. <laughs> yeah. And um, ended up getting the chest x-ray and there was a fracture. And so the provider had to order a <coughs> CT chest and huge sternal fracture, you know, had to admit her for all that stuff. And and so that provider was humble enough to then apologize and was like, I'm so sorry, like you we're right. And you saved my butt in that. And like, I won't not listen to you again, but it's hard that it like takes something like that for a provider to sure. listen. But yeah, it's, it's super important to advocate for your patients and to not give up because that could have been really detrimental for this patient. Um, if that wasn't identified and anyways, so I think being a patient advocate is huge. And for patients and their families, like, especially in especially in the emergency department, it's so important to be kind to your nurses. I know there's been a lot more awareness of that now with COVID and everything, but you spend a lot of time in your patient rooms. You you give a lot of yourself to one patient and then you have to compartmentalize and go, go focus something else um, to a different patient. So being kind and being understanding that your nurse does care. She wants to be in your room but you just can't at this moment. There's a good reason most of the time. Yeah, I think that's a great point. I haven't been doing this very long, but if a nurse has a concern about a patient, I try to tell all the newbies, like, you need to get off your butt and go reassess them, especially the ones that are admitted that have been sitting in the ER for hours. The (laughs) nurses are still in there checking on them and their conditions change. So I think that's a solid point. Guys, I'm going to jump in here. That's the end of this episode, but we are going to continue this discussion with these same fine folks next week. So I hope you'll tune in. If you guys found this valuable, if you were encouraged by it, uplifted by it, or if it just makes it so you don't feel like you're so alone with the stuff that you have to struggle with every day, I hope you will go over to practicalems.com, join the email list for more encouraging and valuable um, information. I'll send you emails to let you know when the new content comes out. 
Um, and of course, if you subscribe on your favorite podcast player, leave a five-star rating and review. That is super helpful to allow me to do this. I don't make any money off of it, and it does cost money to produce. So the more you can subscribe and uh, participate, the better I am able to continue producing this. Thanks again, guys, for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the show, and we'll see you next week.